wanted to start off today, someone mentioned earlier, I was thinking this before. Before we start anything today, in terms of my words, I want to dedicate this today to two things. One is that the Bezer Hashem, Aaron Sofer, Aaron Ben Holder, he should be speedily and safely returned to his family. Amen. And uh, I also want to dedicate this uh, to the memory of my brother, Aaron Hanan Ben David Moshe. My brother, may he rest in peace, died a very young man. But uh, he was someone who also uh, would not let people be anything but their best. When I was having a hard time in grad school, he said, don't give up, they're trying to weed out the wimps. Um, he, uh, he, he kept me strong, and just a very quick story, after he first met my wife while we were, while we were still dating, um, to give you an, an idea of who he was, my wife had to take care of something quickly. Maybe she went to her car or whatever it was. And uh, my brother grabbed me by the lapel of the shirt, like this, basically held me up. He was a wire guy, very strong. And he said, look, Svi, that is your soulmate. Don't blow it. <laughs> it's only way my brother Aaron could. So, hey, he was right. And just to say one last thing, the very last conversation before he went on to Olam HaMes to be with Hashem was him giving me Divrei Chizuk, words of strength and words of bracha about the, about the upcoming uh, birth of our middle daughter, Atara Amuna. So it gives you an idea of where his soul was and God, and please God, where it is. And... Uh, you know, his neshama should have an aliyah. Amen. And I, and I hope that my words do him and the Sofer family some justice. Please, God. Shoftim v'shotrim. Judges and officers. A little bit kind of unusual. Why is it, why does it have to tell us we've been told long beforehand when Yisro came on the scene that you're going to have to break things up so that you have to break things up so that, you, so that Moshe Rabbeinu was not handling everything himself. So they had judges, they had these things. What in the world is this coming to teach us right now? We're, uh, Moshe is literally, you know, right before his passing, all of us, all of a sudden, he's saying. You need a police force. Huh? The answer is that he understood something that the B'nai Israel needed to understand before they entered the land. The life in the Midbar was a life of miraculous existence. Everything they did, literally everything, was provided for them from needs of clothing to food to everything from nearly three million people. If you look how difficult it was, explained uh, explained Rabbi Lazar Brody, 
just to deal with the thousands of people who were displaced after Hurricane Katrina. Okay? Take you back a few years. Um, if, you if you think back to that, and that wasn't for 40 years. At, just, just to get people back on their feet and get people back into a state where they can actually live again, some sort of a normative life, not an easy thing to do. Here you've got three million people, men, women, and children, in a desert environment, and they're living miraculously. However, what, we're, what we have to understand is that Eretz Israel, though it is a miraculous land, it is still a place that is governed by and large by the laws of nature. B'nai Israel were going to have to get used to the fact that they were going to have to put in place their their own legal system. For the legal system was Moshe Rabbeinu and the appointed judges and elders there. And this system was going to have to last them a long time. So the question is, Shoftim, you have judges, you have Shotrim, officers. Now, one could theoretically say, okay, yeah, we need officers, we need police. Don't get me wrong, I am absolutely one of the biggest supporters uh, and believers in a strong police force, heavily armed police force. I have no problem with this. Um, the thing is, is that it was Shoftim Vishotrim. It was judges first and then officers. Now, the officers were to basically enforce the rules of the judges. Person A is told that they owe person B $500. Person B doesn't want to pay it. The, the officers of the court, call them bailiff, whatever you want to call them, say uh, they're going to make sure that person A pays person B. I heard a very interesting thing on uh, LearnTorah.com from Rabbi Eli Mansour. I hope I'm giving this over right. Um, that uh, let's say somebody uh, was caught eating non-kosher. Um, two witnesses, everything else. They come in and the testimony is valid. Can they kill him for this? The answer is no. Of course not. But they can give him lashes and will. Now, when I'm talking lashes, I'm not talking about just a, a quick smack with a whip. If any of you remember a number of years ago, a young man, Lahavdil, decided in Singapore that it would be a brilliant idea, brilliant in quotes, yeah, that he should go around and spray paint cars in a city-state that's known for having some very tough laws. Now, I teach social studies. One of the things I tell my students is, if you're ever outside the United States, know the laws of the land you're going to. In this, in this country, you're entitled to legal representation. You're entitled to food. You're entitled to a phone call, whatever it is, when you get into uh, police custody. You can't sue any of that in a different nation. Um, and you're... And you are also uh, not going to be given a physical corporal punishment by the court. At least not 
in the first, not in the main sense of, of things. Um, here, this guy decided, okay, they warned him, we're going to cane you if you keep this up. And he decided to keep it up. And so, after some long negotiations with the United States government, they got it down to four. But as you close thing to understand what makot are, makos from the court would be caning. Basically, they basically took, and I'm not saying this is how they did it in the bait did, but uh, they took a split bamboo cane, roughly about 10 feet long. Imagine someone with the muscles and build of the Phillies' Ryan Howard mob deal, swinging this 10 foot long split bamboo cane into the side of someone's leg. Time after time after time. You're not talking a slap on the wrist here. You're talking very serious, serious punishment. Now, explain to our answer, but in court they would also have a doctor to make sure that, let's say this person, the doctor looks him over, person can take 20. They might give him 18. But this was not your typical lash. And so they, they may take a shirt off and they'll get him to hopefully do tshuva there so that the makos will purify it. What? You're indicating something? Probably above something. Okay, sorry, I thought you were trying, you were trying to get my attention about something. My mistake. Um, and so, this guy is probably never after this point going to be eating a cheeseburger again. Um, now, as a history teacher, I think it's important to understand how this went into history in Balvel in Babylonia. After the second temple was destroyed, the main center of Torah learning, though there was plenty of it in Aristotle, there's a Talmud Yerushalmi, etc., the main focus of Torah learning were the scholars in Balvel. Sura and Pambadita were the two main yeshivot there, two main cities of, uh, of yeshivot. Now, they had something there called the Resh Galuta the Exilarch. And this person was basically, even by the sec I wouldn't call them secular authorities because there was no such thing back then, um, by the ruling Muslim authorities, he was someone, not, not initially, after, I mean after, after, you're correct, I'm talking after the Muslims came about. So let me specify that. Even the Muslim caliph and whatnot respected the Jewish rulership. You are correct that for a while this existed without an Islamic state there because Islam didn't happen until the 600s. Correct. Louis 632, to be exact. Okay. Anyhow. Um, but something that's interesting. Rabbi Wine, Rabbi Wine pointed out that the Reish Galusa, had the authority to actually execute people. Um, you're talking very serious authority with Rabbanim. I hope he wasn't gunhead. <laughs> they didn't have guns. 
<laughs> no, but uh, the upshot was that he was set to deal with the community. <clears throat> now, question here is, who were these judges? Who were these people that were in power with such power even after the getting of what was called smicha stopped? Let me give you a little bit of history on that. Smicha was direct was direct ordination and passing down of the oral tradition and permission to teach teacher to student all the way from Moshe Rabbeinu. During the Roman persecutions, that was made illegal, and ultimately, that chain of tradition was disconnected. It was lost. Smith of the year of today, permission to paskin a halakhic shayla, permission to give an answer on a halakhic question. That basically means they've learned a certain a a piece of shulchan aruch. They have taken that person has taken a test, and they're considered qualified to answer questions. Um, <coughs> has nothing to do with whether or not they went to uh, social work school. Has nothing, it has nothing to do with whether or not they uh, have any uh, tact or whatever it is. Sir, if you need an opener, I got one for you right here. Other directions, closing it. I was closing it, sir. My mistake. Um, sorry about that. See your opener when I raise you. All right. Good lighthearted moment to uh, keep things cool. Um, but the thing was, who were these people? These were people who knew, I'm not talking the, sage, the sages, I'm talking about the, those who had smicha in the times of the Tanayim and early on Moriah, who in the Gemara and were called Rabbi. Not Rav, Rabbi. These were people who the lowest of the low had the power to declare Hametim. Understand this? The most the the most the lowest level of learning there of these people could still bring someone back to life who had died. You're talking a very high level here. Explained Rabbi uh, Mansour. Um, he had to know 70 languages. And not just a couple of words here, a couple of words there. You know, sometimes I surprise my students in Camden, they're speaking Spanish, and I'll say, hey, watch your mouth. And they're like, how do you know what that was? Well, I took four years of Spanish in high school. When I got to uh, college, that and a metro card would get me on the subway. <laughs> um, but the upshot was, by the way, that line is from my professor, Dr. Albert Marin, may he live and be well. I like to give over where I got things from. Um, but the reality was that it wasn't just a few words here and there. They had to be fluent. And so when Big Tan and Teresh were plotting to assassinate King Ahasuerus, they made the very foolish mistake of doing it right right in front of Mordechai. Mm -hmm. And they were speaking Parsi, a very obscure language from a very obscure part of the world. How in the world is he going to know Tarsi? The answer was, well, 
You're out of luck, buddies. He does. And he saw the uh, chance to make great Kedush Hashem. He reported it. And these two were uh, then uh, hanged for treason. Um, the upshot was that these were people who had such a mastery of law and such a mastery of everything. It wasn't just the fact that they could quote you Talmud. It wasn't just the fact they could quote you any Paschal which they could, or all of Tanakh for that matter. Um, these were masters of every skill. Um, one of the things that I pointed out when I one time gave a class on Corbin Yerushalayim was that the people that lived at that time and the description of the Khorban, of, of the destruction of the temple was given in the Talmud step by step, shot by shot, blow by bloody blow. In many cases, these people were also very wise histor historians as well. They recorded things in tremendous detail. If you want further reference on this book, there's a book by Rabbi Label Resnick called The Time to Weep. And you get a description in there that's pulled from the Talmud. And it will, I'll put it this way, don't read this book before you go to sleep at night. Um, and don't read it after you've just had a big meal. Your bones will chill. And you, it's, but it's a phenomenal book in terms of understanding what actually happened. The Rabbanim were experts in everything. They really knew, through their Torah learning, about every aspect of life. Which brings us to a very interesting point in the Parsha. And it says that it'll come to me when, when you have an issue, big or small. You know, obviously, by this point, Moshe Rabbeinu will not be there. He's explaining to them, you're going to have a different system in place here. The system is going to be based on what the Kidole Ador, the Rabbanim tell you in each generation. Do not go away from the words right or left. Don't think that you can be firmer than the rabbi. Don't think that, uh, well, I, I think I uh, want to say an extra bracha here uh, because, I, because I feel special. You know, or I, or I feel it's a special time. I want to say, uh, you know, a bracha on on this once I've already had bread. And if the halacha is that the, everything else is included with hamotzi, it's included. You don't go against the words of the hachamim. Um, each generation, and basically. That has been a very, very serious issue because whenever people have gone against the words of the Chachamim, there's been some big trouble. When people have ridiculed Rabbanim, that has often been the beginning of destruction that has led to very serious problems. Not disagreeing, I'm not saying disagree, giving different opinions, going back and forth, that's one thing. But when people would start to actually destroy writings of, of Rabbanim and whatnot, and they would start to have the com you know, common people get involved in what was essentially a, f a argument amongst scholars, a, a fight amongst equals, 
you ended up in big trouble. And that's when the Gentiles usually started up their rancor. You had someone who decided, okay, well, they don't like this group, so they're going to inform the secular authorities on them. And next thing you know, the entire Jewish community is, in, is being uh, persecuted. Um, now, one of the problems that's come about recently, not too recently, but uh, that we've seen and we hear every day, people feel very, very free to attack this rabbi or that rabbi because he holds this or holds that in a community. And I am referring specifically to people that are serious Torah scholars. I'm not talking about um, this, I'm not talking about let me rephrase that, okay? Within the Torah observing community, you hear sometimes people saying, How could this rabbi say this? How could he say that? And not just in a way, I don't understand what he said, but basically attaching ridicule to, to their words, making fun of a Rav. Making fun of anyone for that matter, but, but especially, you don't go after the Rav. You watch how you talk about the Rabbanim. If you, do, if you disagree with something, you don't understand something, you ask the question. You don't ask the question to your next door neighbor. You ask it to them, to them directly. I don't understand. Why, would, why was this different from this? Why did you rule this was kosher this wasn't? You go directly to the source. And if you can't, you wait. You don't go and start spreading rumors. Shonara, I heard this or I heard that. Next thing you know, community's kosher can be called into question because someone heard something and they started spreading rumors. That is disgrace of the Rabbanim. We have no right to do that. We have no business attacking. Now, I will say this much, because I know some of you are thinking, what about if there's a Rav who's really done something that's horrific? I am not, I am not talking about things where there's obvious reason <coughs> to hold someone accountable, anyone who is, who's involved with harming children or who's involved in, and, it's very, and it becomes very obvious, they caught, they're caught red-handed doing something, in any kind of inappropriate behavior, yes? I don't mean to interrupt, but what would you, or what would they say about, for example, the Natura Kartai who are going to Iran and siding with Iran and calling for Israel's destruction? I'm not even going to go there. But I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why I'm not going there. I thought about that too. Because first of all, Natsuri Karta represented a fairly small group of people. Very small group of people. How do I know? I've been to Williamsburg for Shabbos. I've been amongst the Satna Hasidim. And by the way, the Satna Hasidim are some of the cool, coolest people on earth. you got to know that. And I would tell my friends when I would go there, come with a very open mind, and if you know what's good for you, a very empty stomach. Um, because those Hasidim like to feed the guests. Now, what am I saying about how does that apply to Nateri Karta? Um, obviously, there is a split here, but you have to understand that they represent a very small group of people. Um, is there, do they have a position? Yes, they do. Is being anti-Zionist based on, based on Torah sources a legitimate position? Absolutely. 
However, most people would agree that the way they go about doing things does not go in line with the Gedolim, with the Rabbanim. However, we still have to understand that A, they have their own Rabbanim, and, and B, it's not, it's not my place here to attack any particular group of Jews. So I will not do that. Um, and by the way, you will also not hear me from, from this uh, thing here today attack anyone even on the far left. Far left, far right, no, I'm not going there. We need Achtos Yisrael because quite frankly, the land itself is, is blazing now. We've had thousands of rockets go over that land and very few people have actually been killed. We've got someone's missing right now. We cannot be affording, even for someone we believe is, is on the far extreme, let them be on the extreme, but let us not talk badly about them. Let's, let, better, better that, let, let me finish my point. Better that if you disagree that you should daven for their well-being and safety and, their hush, and they change hushkafically. I'm not prepared to go into attacking a fellow Jew at this point. I just won't do it. Now, Excuse me, I was not asking you to, to attack anybody. You said about defying uh, the rabbis. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm, I'm getting at is how you know when a rabbi, and you mentioned child abuse, but this is a more broad thing when, when rabbis take public positions which will be an anathema to the Jewish community. All I can say is, in Terry Carta, the people that represent the Terry Carta, while you and I certainly Forget do not... About that. Put them aside, anybody, just generally. I'm not so sure I fully understand your question. Can you, can you, you be said it was wrong to defy rabbis. You made kind of a blanket statement. So what about, and, and you used the example of, uh, unless a rabbi does something blatantly wrong like child abuse. I'm talking about on a larger scale where a rabbi would say it's wrong to support Israel or we should hurt Israel. Okay. So how does that compare to a case of child abuse and defying a rabbi and a rabbi being a bad rabbi? Okay. I would say there that obviously other rabbis and people that are on the same level of learning should come out and make a statement that this is not the view of Kal Yisrael. Um, well, it's not for the little guys like me to come out and say that. I don't feel I'm at the level to come out and condemn the Terei Karta like that. About that. Okay. In general. But it's important for other Rabbanim to make a, make a very clear statement and make a unified statement. And by the way, there have been many examples of them doing that. Um, anyway, um, basically, when you have the ridiculing of Gedolim, by the way, this is not just Gedolim, when you have the ridiculing of their decisions, you, when you have problems that are rampant in any, in, in any community, it's important to say, what are we going to do about this? Who do we go to? If someone has a problem, God forbid, with their kidneys, they're going to go to a nephrologist. Are they going to go to the, the local guy who uh, just, just got out of medical school? Maybe he's good. But if they have someone with many years' experience 
who's had the skipped lunches, who stayed up all night, who's done thousands of surgeries, etc., they're going to want the person, obviously, who has that experience. Same is true when it comes to Rabbanut, when it comes to Rabbanim. You know, I'll put it to you this way. This community and this shul lost a a thousand carat polished diamond. And that's being about as it's the least I can call Rabbi Felder. They lost and you lost a tremendous gem when Rabbi Felder passed on. Um, his wisdom, his knowledge, his quick wit um, beyond what we can understand. I can't do much justice I'm not going to stay long on that point but he was someone that knew Halakha clearly inside and out and when he passed away this community had part of its soul taken out um, now basically this brings me into the second part of my discussion today and that basically is on Chodesh Elul Chodesh Elul is a very very serious time and especially this year there are many different acronyms that have been associated with Elul Anila Dodi Vidodi Li we're going to get to that in just a couple of minutes we're going to have it's a month where we blow the shofar every single day. Um, I know that uh, this morning I, I was not able to dive into shul, so when my wife and I got home, I blew shofar for my family. And there's one other person who was there who uh, heard it get blown too. Um, what's this point of this shofar? What's this ram's horn? Every year, at Elul time, you start blowing the shofar. And by the way, I will tell you something interesting. This is this is to be very fascinating. The Sfaradim are already saying slichos. They start from the beginning of Elul, and when they say the Yogi in the thirteen attributes of mercy, they blow the shofar when they say them. You go into a Sephardic shul, you will hear the shofar blast. Not that tune. Um, and they start to blow, they start to clock the Yugi Muzarachamim. And it's bone chilling. It's really bone chilling. It's calling us to say, get up already. You've just been through Chodesh Av. You've just wit. You've just been through the pain of hor of the Horban. It shouldn't have taken this much to get you to be awake, but now it's a whole month where, as it were, Hashem is is prepared for us to take a step back and see. How did we blow it this past year? How did we blow it this past month? <laughs> uh, anyone could say that because, quite frankly, 
I speak for myself. I know, I know I'm no tzaddik, okay? <laughs> um, I, try, I try to be a halfway decent guy, but uh, let's, let's all be honest here. We, we all mess up occasionally, at least. Um, but the upshot is, is that Lizard Boshalom, I had a discussion with, with my oldest brother. Um, he <coughs> felt like he was having trouble with something, and he didn't know if, if he should turn to tefillah. Uh-huh. My oldest brother you know, has a lot to learn about Yiddishkeit and whatnot, and he says, is, should I turn to prayer off if, if, is it being hypocritical? I said to him, brother, not only is it not hypocritical, it's the most natural thing you can do. When my brother Aaron, the one whom this is dedicated to, was very sick in the hospital. We thought he had uh, appendicitis one time. My wife and I at that point were dating. Um, and I had to rush him to the hospital. That morning, he wanted to with me. And he put on and he put on his fill-in. Was there anything hypocritical in the fact that he was scared that he might have to be rushed in for major surgery, therefore he wanted to daven and put on his fill-in? Anything hypocritical about that? Even if he didn't do it all the time? The answer is absolutely not. Kodesh Baruch is saying to us, come daven to me. Let me know what's up with you. I'm always here. You're my children. You're children to Hashem, your God. And it's so important. Exactly. According to... Just translated for the... Sure, absolutely. According to Nusach Chabad, Nusach Harizal of the... Of the uh, First Lubavitcher, Rebbe Baltanya, the end of uh, the middle of Shulman Esrei ends with the, fa- ends with the verse, Kiat HaShemet feels Kolpeh. For you hear the prayer of every mouth. Um, if you dive in regular news, that's far, Kiat HaShemet feels Kolpeh, Amcha Yisrael. All prayers of, of Israel. The upshot is kolpe, every mouth. And even if that mouth has been involved in some things that are not really so so great, it doesn't say, with the exception of, you know, we're gonna we're gonna kick you out because we don't like you. You how dare you say, you know, someone is coming in sincere tshuva and sincere desire to connect with the Rosh Their prayers are good. <laughs> And it's open to every one of us. Um, very, very important idea. Now, I'm going to read to you, I'm going to conclude by reading something. A piece from a particular person. If you know who this is, you've been in my house, don't cheat and tell who it is. Um, I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to try to make it quick because I know reading, reading a book to, to a bunch of people can be the most boring thing on earth. But I want you to hear the words I'm about to say to you and see if you can guess which Rolf wrote these beautiful words. And I will try and speed it up. I'm a former telemarketer talking fast with my field. Um, <laughs> 
believe me. Anyway, the Jewish calendar is full of notations. Red letter days that are meant to be, to be both particular reminders as well as part of a uniform one. Time is passing, the sands of time have run out just a bit more. The beard is a little grayer and the, the limbs a touch heavier. Time, the Jewish calendar is a watchman of time, a ram's horn that blows not but once a year, but every time a new time cycle begins. I'm going to skip around here just for the sake of time. Um, <laughs> every month, <laughs> every month is marked by a Rosh Chodesh, the consecration of, of, the, of the beginning of yet another lunar cycle. The, wheels of, the wheel of heaven has revolved yet another 30 days so soon that we are and we are that much older. The Lord now, get, now gives us another month to prove that we are that, also that much wiser. It is not only another month, it is a new month. Above all, it is called Rosh Chodesh, the head of the month. It is, I'm sorry, is, the, is there perhaps here a hint to see how much wisdom has filled our heads during the mistakes and sins of the past one? This, this next pass, this part here really moves me. And every year has its Rosh Hashanah, that, that peculiarly Jewish day, in which there are no parties and, and drinking and abandonment of restraint, in which there is no hilarious laughter and noise that is, a, that is a frantic and frenetic attempt to convince all and oneself that he is happy. There is no frantic clutching at pleasure before it escapes, and worse, before I pass on. Too soon, too soon. There is Rosh Hashanah, time post. Another year gone by already. So soon. And it's time to, to see what the gray hairs and added wrinkles and slow reflexes have taught us. Rosh Hashanah is one step closer to the gateway out of this world and into the next one. It is time to rehearse the speech we, that, we will all, that we will make, all of us someday, before the supremest of courts, as we attempt to explain the meanings of our, life, of our lives below. This particular article goes on, and I could go on this one, could, quite frankly, I was reading this earlier, and I was almost brought to tears by it. I'm going to skip to a, to a different article very briefly. This is subtitled, what, what, what Moves Us? I'm sorry, there's two things I'm going to read here, and then with that I'm going to conclude. We mentioned before how great, we are, how great it is to have use of Torah in every generation. A lot of the outside world sees them with their with their diff, different dress and long beards, etc., as being outmoded people from a different time. But this is something which uh, this author then takes to a different level. Here, it says to them, Torah jewelry is is if anything an old misfit in a modern world. A man who surrounds himself with, with, with prohibition, a woman who turns her back upon pleasure, a child who is trained to dress and behave differently, much bewildered and put little cause for pride in the prevailing attitude of even fellow Jews. Next, next, next uh, subheading, little to boast of. It is all in the eye of the beholder. It is all a product of what one man of what one considers real and permanent and valuable. There is the illusion of this world and the reality of Torah. If we sub if we submit ourselves if we ourselves sometimes have doubts as to what is real and, submit, and, and, and meaningful, I submit again that we have much to be proud of. For theirs is a world of Auschwitz and Siberia and the Congo. There is a, there, theirs is a world where people f 
appear at night as from its recesses pour forth the criminals of the dark. Their society is one that knows of men struck down by muggers and women and women by perverts. Their, their, their creation of children who learn to kill have seldom having learned seldom having been educated in any much else. Their pride is patricide and fratricide, genocide and suicide, an abomination the likes of which has not been seen since the great flood temporarily cleansed the earth with, with its boiling waters. What moves us? We have our own hopes, our own va we have our own values, our own special, our own Jewish life, and we are proud, so very proud. We are proud when our children sit before us and translate a chapter of Chumash. This is Jewish pride. We are proud when a God delivers a beautifully analyzed lecture in the area of Talmud. This is Jewish happiness. We are proud of our Friday evening table as with white, white tablecloth and rich red wine with soft brown collars and deep polished silver. Sparkling candlelight and twinkly eyes, the Torah family sits in warm closeness and raises its voice in song, its lips in praise, its tongue in Torah parables. And I'm skipping here. We are, we are proud because we feel we know that this is what man was created for. This is the real truth. This is the real essence. This is the real value. We are a wealthy people and a happy one. Others pursue, pursue shadows. We grasp, we grasp substance. With Nehunya ben Hakuna, we give, our, we give thanks to the, lot, to the Almighty for a lot. It is a sweet one, a good one, a proud one. Now, here's my test. Does anyone know who said those words? You just know. <laughs> <laughs> Does anyone know which rabbi wrote them? Let's tell us. Give us a hint. I'm going to show you the cover, and some of you may be surprised. Wow. wow! I am surprised. Wow! wow. <laughs> People often don't remember. People often don't remember that he was a tremendous scholar in our midst too, taken before his time. And it's very important that we understand these words. He was an Ohev Yisrael. He was someone who loved his people. He made people disagree with certain things he did. He, he may have said politically, but when it came to who he was in essence, a man was a man of his people. A man who loved every single Jew regardless of... He turned out to be right. Of whatever... Yes, he was. Of whatever their political stripe, that was who he was. And it is times like this well, we are under attack. Jews all around the world are under attack. But we have to be able to show HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we want you now. We want to connect with one another. We want the, the Baruch Hu's El, but not, but not just in a sense that we should be able to do our own shuva. We have to reconnect with each other and, re and reconnect in a real way. We don't look down on someone because they're wearing a different color yarmulke or, the different, or, or whatnot. One of my professors at YU often said, and I'm paraphrasing here, that uh, 
what's inside one's head is much more important than what's on top of it. Much more important. We have to understand, we have to look inside and see the essence of each Jew and each person. If we look out there and we see, hey, you know what, this person created in Hashem's image. And because Hashem told us to be a holy nation, we have obligations. We see the world in that light. Each one of us can then become a, a refractor of the light of the Shekhinah. And once it reflect, refracts in the lights of all of Kal Yisrael, and we get it together in our own hearts, that will be the time when we actually will be able to say, Hegia Zaman Gulat Khan, time of your redemption has indeed arrived. Amen. Amen.